Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 89. Welcome to the Know, Like, and Trust show with Brittany Gardner, the podcast where we explore the world of personal branding and how to build your know, like, and trust factor up for ultimate business success. And now here's your host, Brittany Gardner. All right, you guys, today I'm talking with Lacey Boggs, and we're going to be talking all things leadership marketing and why you should not necessarily be following the leader. We're going to go over a few examples from her business and a few tips and tricks she's got to dealing with our current global health crisis and how that may or may not be affecting your marketing going forward. Lacey Boggs is a content strategist, author of the best-selling Kindle ebook, Make a Killing with Content, and the director of the Content Direction Agency. She helps personality-driven brands create and implement content marketing strategies tailor-made to support their customers and reach their goals. Tired of the constant hustle and late nights, Lacey Boggs quit her demanding food editor job and turned to blogging as a way to be able to continue working and staying home with her daughter. She was encouraged to give up on her dream almost at the very start when a prominent business coach told Lacey she couldn't possibly build a business working only 20 hours a week. Of course, you guys know I identify with that one. But nevertheless, she persisted. Lacey has gone on to be trusted by companies like Bluffworks, Melanie Duncan, Tanya Geisler, and Adrian Dorenson. As her company's grown, it was important for her to support other women trying to do the same for their families. She currently has eight team members, all of them moms looking to support their families from home. On to the interview with Lacey. All right, Lacey, welcome to the No Like and Trust Show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have you on. I've done a little bit of digging into you in the last day or so, and I first became, you know, more than just a tiny bit intrigued when I read in your bio that you also only work 20 hours a week. And I was like, yes, someone who understands my world. Let's talk about that first. <laughs> yeah, totally. You have two kids, right? I do. Yeah. So I have one and she's nine. So I've done the toddler thing. <laughs> I've done the baby thing. But now we're into sort of a different world. And uh, yeah, I started this business when she was born or right after she was born. And so I pretty much had to make it work during nap times, right? Like that was it. That was I could work during nap times and sometimes on the weekend or in the evenings when my husband was home. And then as she's gotten older, I just haven't wanted <laughs> to do any differently. So, um, you know, now she's in, well, as we're recording this, she's distance learning at home, uh, <laughs> which yes, is a whole different <laughs> ball of wax. But, you know, normally she's in school full time. So I'm generally between 20 to 30 hours a week right now, just depending on what I need to get done and how often I'm volunteering in the library at school. So. <laughs> Yeah, understood. It's so funny. I was outside with my neighbors at a socially distanced place, of course. I mean, it started because I was dropping off some kombucha to my neighbor across the street because she wanted to try some. And then we all ended up just being like, it's so nice to be outside. We'll just stand 10 feet apart from each other. But one of them has uh, just an eight-year-old at home. One of them has three teenagers. And then there's me with an eight and two-year-old. And the one that only has the eight-year-old at home I was like, man, if it was just my eight-year-old at home, I could totally rock this quarantine and distance learning thing. Right. I can't even imagine with a toddler. Like that's a whole other set of challenges. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm at the work during nap time phase right now. And that's okay. That's just where I'm at in life. But you know, this kind of threw everything for a loop. But that's kind of the entrepreneurial journey. You know, things that worked yesterday don't work today. And then tomorrow is going to be a whole new pandemic, apparently. So... <laughs> A hundred percent. And I feel very lucky that we've been able to transition so easily to having somebody at home, having her at home. And also my husband's having a staff meeting downstairs right now while we're uh, virtually right now. So like it's a whole craziness uh, at our house sometimes, but we've been very lucky to be able to transition to it pretty easily. So I read an article that you have posted on Medium about leadership marketing, and you did a really great job at the beginning of the article, which I'll link in the show notes for our listeners, about how everyone that's a business owner has to market themselves, but that doesn't necessarily mean they are a marketer. And because of that, we all tend to play this follow the leader game because well, so-and-so says this works, and -and so-and-so says that works, so I guess I'm going to do that. But Right now, more than ever, and I'm definitely using that cliched phrase here, you know, what worked a few months ago might not work today. And I think what you were talking about has a ton of just importance right now. So I'd love for you to to give us a rundown on what leadership marketing is and how we can apply that to our businesses in an appropriate way right now. Yeah, you really hit the nail on the head there because we all got into business to do business. And unless you're me or someone like me, you didn't get into business to be a marketer. So, But sometimes we have to wear those hats, right? And the thing is, we're all, even myself included, looking for that easy button. So if somebody presents us with whatever, a formula, a blueprint, we want to believe it, right? We really wish, yeah, somebody can just tell me how to do this. But what I've seen over and over, and this is not to throw shade at anybody who sells a blueprint or a a formula, but what I've seen over and over again is that while those things work for some businesses, they don't work for every business every time. And so as a leader, you have to figure out how to lead not only in your business, in your niche, but also with your marketing. So how can you step out from that cookie cutter, templated marketing and figure out what works for you with your business, your clients and so on. So just very briefly, I think there's three pieces to leadership marketing. There's your brand and your brand voice, how you like to communicate with people, your customer and how they want to be communicated to. And then the data. So the data of what's happening in your particular niche, but also like what's happening in your particular business. Just because the industry data says uh, videos are working great in your industry doesn't mean that they're working great for your particular business. So we have to look at all three and where they overlap is where we can create a leadership marketing plan that's unique to you and should get better results because of that. So I love how you broke it down in those three pieces. And, you know, branding is obviously my strong suit. So yay for mentioning that. But one of the things I teach my clients on a continual basis as continuing education is, yes, a personal brand has a lot to do with you, but it also has to do with how you interact with your best client or the customer as you put it in your point number two. And they're equal parts because that interaction, that exchange carries a lot more weight in marketing than I think a lot of people get it credit for. Yes, 100%. And and I love that you're referring to it here as a conversation, right? Because marketing is a conversation. Content marketing is a conversation. When we're just talking at somebody, that's advertising. <laughs> but when you're marketing in the best of all possible worlds, it's a conversation, whether that's through email or comments on your social media or comments on your podcast or whatever it might be. 
in the best sense, it should be a back and forth, right? It should be a conversation. So we have to have the client or the or the customer as part of that because otherwise we're missing a huge chunk. So when you say having people as a part of that, I think everyone, you know, listening is probably nodding their heads and saying, yeah, of course. I mean, that's common sense. <laughs> but then as the, you know, business turned marketing person, they start doing the talking at the customer. Are there any checks and balances that you tell people about on a regular basis so they don't fall into that trap? Right. So I think the first one is just to be yourself, be authentic. A lot of times, especially if you're a newer business or if you're coming out of corporate, we put on this like business voice when we're talking, when we're writing copy or writing on social media, because we feel like we have to sound like a business. But as the title of your podcast says, like we do business with people who know, like and trust us. And so you have to be yourself. You have to come across as a person. Even the biggest businesses, when they do it the best, it's when they sound like a person or somebody that you could actually reach out and talk to and get to know. So especially as a small business, the reason people are going to choose to do business with you is because you're a person, because they know, like, and trust you. And a lot of that comes through in your voice. So in terms of checks and balances, I mean, always like watch out for jargon, watch out for expert speak. You definitely don't want to, you have to like go back to beginner's mind, as the Buddhists would say, and speak the way your clients speak. A lot of times that means using language they would use because a, a great example is like, for example, if you're like a weight loss coach, let's say, and you know that they need to fix their metabolism in order to lose weight, but that's not what they know. Then if you start talking about metabolism all the time, people are going to glaze over and they're going to be like, what? <laughs> uh, but if you talk about like, oh, here's how you lose weight without dieting or here's how you lose weight and still can eat ice cream on Fridays or whatever it might be, they're going to be like, yes, that's what I want, right? Because nobody wakes up at 3 a.m. and thinks, hmm, I need to fix my metabolism. Life coaches have this problem too because they're always like, we need to self-actualize and all these things, but that's not what people are struggling with, right? So we have to use our, our client or our customer's language to really get in their heads and, and communicate with them well. I think it's so funny that you mentioned that. So my husband started a different job two and a half years ago at sales, and he started speaking his company's language, I, I would say within three weeks. And, you know, he obviously he had to go through like the two weeks of like intense training as he onboarded and all that. He was at home and he was saying something to our son who was six at the time. And he was like, I wish I could remember the exact word mm -hmm. that he used, but it was probably the self-actualization of sales. And I just looked at him and I was like, will you listen to yourself? Like, who are you? <laughs> like, th that is not you. Like, take the business hat off. You're done. You're home, you know? Right. I had a client once who used to be a, a corporate lawyer, and then she left that to start a surfing school for women. And when I met with her, her website read like, a lawyer's website, but was talking about surfing. And I was like, there's so much fun language and slang and lingo that goes with surfing. We've got to loosen this up. <laughs> yeah, that's a big 180 there too. <laughs> oh man. So I, I know that a lot of professions or niches will fall into that jargony trap. And that's going to be something that they're going to have to just be aware of on a continual basis. But another thing that I see on a fairly recent and common basis, I should say, is when people have, you know, really great informational posts and they don't leave any questions. They don't leave any way for people to start a dialogue back at them. They don't invite, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
And would you say that that's another piece of the puzzle that people are missing? So yes, 100%. And then the other thing that comes up immediately when you say that is, what are they selling? If they're giving away all this information in a blog post. So this is not 100% true all the time. But if you're selling the how to, you shouldn't be blogging about the how to (laughs) that makes sense. So so for example, if you have a course that teaches somebody how to do something, obviously, you shouldn't be teaching them how to do it in the blog as well. Now, There's a caveat there, like, obviously, I can't teach you everything you need to know in a blog post, right? And people will pay for things in a nice, succinct fashion, even if it's for free on the blog. But generally speaking, you don't need a how-to post necessarily if you're selling the how-to. The other thing is, like, and and I had to learn this the hard way for myself, if you're selling a done-for-you service, your audience doesn't care about the how-to. Oh, that's a good point. Right. Let's tell that story of Lacey's hard knock life, because that was, of course, the first thing I started blogging about was how to blog, because that's what I knew how to do. That's what I, you know, I'm like, let's write a blog post about how to write a blog post. (laughs) You're trying to sell a service where you write it for them. Guess what? Those people don't care. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, from an SEO point of view, it probably, you know, help your blog's SEO, which could help in gaining client traction, even if they don't actually care. But that's a lot of time investment if you're going to put in quality content into a blog. <laughs> well, and, and really high-end people who want to outsource that aren't Googling how to write a blog post. They're Googling, you know, outsource writer or something like that, right? Something else. So actually, my very highest ranking post is how much to pay a blog writer because that's what people are Googling for that kind of thing. But I had to learn that the hard way, right? I was attracting this huge audience of people who wanted to learn how to do it, but they didn't want to pay me to do it for them. So you have to make sure that the kind of content you're putting out is not only engaging people and asking for the back and forth or asking, making a call to action of some sort, whatever that is but also that it's attracting the right people, right? And that's where that customer client circle comes in again in my Venn diagram that I'm drawing in the air that you can't see of clients, brand, and data. So when you're talking about data, I know you gave us a, a brief synopsis earlier, but what is the most important piece of data that you want people to look for? And then what is the kind of data that they usually find a little bit easier on their own? Sure. So I don't have a one size fits all answer for that, but the best way I can answer it is we need to know what your goal is first, and then we need to know what is the metric we can use to track progress toward that goal. And what I find is that people are generally tracking the wrong things. So they might be, for example, tracking traffic to their website, but they're not tracking conversions, or maybe they're looking at Facebook engagement, but they never ever talk about what they sell on Facebook. (laughs) right? So if your overall goal is to make more sales or get more leads for sales, then the closest number we need to look at is conversion rates or how many new leads you're getting in your email. We don't care really as much about how many Facebook friends you have if those people are not converting to leads. So that's kind of my bigger thing is start with the goal and then determine which is the metric that most closely matches that goal. And that's really a biggie with content strategy, because a lot of times people are like, oh, I want to be on Instagram. And I'm like, that's awesome. Let's be on Instagram. How are you going to move people off Instagram to make a sale? And there's like, uh, right, (laughs) because they don't know. So we have to make sure that the content we're producing and the strategy we're using is actually going to help the goal we want to achieve, right? 
So that's really where that data comes in. And, and it doesn't have to be super hard. We use Google Analytics, which is free. And sometimes we use maybe their email software or maybe something in it, like a Facebook analytics. But that's really much more rare unless they're running ads or something like that. It's usually like Google Analytics conversions or email conversion. How many signups are we getting on this particular page or this particular post? And those are generally pretty easy to find out. I have a, a leadership marketing dashboard that has a list of potential numbers you could track. And I've set it up so it's easy to just plop them into the spreadsheet. But I always say, like in the little training video that goes with it, just because all of these are here doesn't mean you have to track all of them. I've just pre-set it up with all the ones that are the most common. You may not use all of them. You may only use one of them, and that's okay. Gotcha. You know, it's interesting. So in the last few months, I've set up my first, like, I guess you could call it official funnel. Obviously, I've had funnels in the past. But the first one that I'm actually paying attention to all the metrics on, you know, how many people are hitting this page versus this page? You know, where are they coming from? You know, all of that. And I find myself not just geeking out over the numbers, but becoming a little bit obsessive about them. It's a whole new world. That can happen. And, you know, when you get into more sophisticated marketing funnels, sometimes you do have to look at more numbers. Generally, with clients that are doing that kind of thing, I suggest that you just look for the outliers, right? Because anything can cause, and like math is not my strong suit, but like in statistics, you can have a plus or minus couple of percentage points just for anything. The fact that it's Tuesday, right? So I try to look for big outliers. So if if there's several pages in a funnel and one of them has the click-through rate just drops off all of a sudden, that's a big key indicator for me, right? If there's an email nurture sequence and one of them gets really great open rates and the next one gets really, really crummy ones, that's a big indicator for me. So it's those big swings I'm looking for rather than the minute changes because, again, those could be just caused by anything. <laughs> I will take that piece of advice with the intent. I'm sure you had it. <laughs> Yeah, the obsession's probably not serving me well. I'm definitely in the numbers right now. But I like what you said specifically about big swings because obviously there's going to be daily or weekly surges, you know, the ebb and flow that's normal, but the big swing is what we really want to be looking for. Yeah. 100% because that's where we're actually going to find the most information in terms of what we can fix. And there are, for example, you can hire a conversion copywriter who can test the text on your button or the color of your font to see, you know, do A-B tests and see which one converts better. But that really is only effective or needed when you're sending, you know, hundreds of thousands of people through a funnel. Um, and generally, that's much bigger businesses than I'm working with. <laughs> so I try to look, I look for those more statistically significant swings. <laughs> so from the leadership marketing perspective, I'd love to hear an example that you've gone through, you know, recently with a client, something that, you know, they came to you and they're like, well, I'm going to do it this way. And you made perhaps, you know, a suggestion here or there, and maybe it wasn't a complete 180 in what they were thinking, but with a little bit of guidance, they found something that fit much better. Yeah, I have a great example of this. So um, in Q4 of 2019, we were doing a launch for a client and her ideal customer is time-starved entrepreneurs because she teaches them how to streamline their business, how to hire better, things like that. So 
she came to me and said she wanted to do sort of a traditional video launch. So, you know, a couple of videos with a call to action leading to a webinar, selling off the webinar. That's pretty standard, right? But in that formula, the videos are generally between 20 and 40 minutes long. And I said to her, I was like, your time-starved entrepreneurs are not going to sit through three 40-minute videos and then a 45-minute webinar, right? <laughs> they just, they literally don't have time for that. So we brainstormed and we came up with an idea to position it kind of as a challenge. And we did five five-minute videos. And the challenge, the the information we asked them to collect all fit on a single post-it note. That was kind of the hook. Like, we know you're busy. We know you can't think about one more thing. All of this fits on one post-it note. And then that led to the webinar, uh, which would help them solve the problem we identified in the challenge. And when we warmed up the traffic through that challenge and put them through the webinar, her webinar converted at 26.5%, which typical for a webinar is closer to 10%. That would be good. And she had her most profitable launch ever through that. So we were very pleased with the results of that one. I love that. First of all, thanks for telling us what the normal conversion rate is. You know, 26% might not sound like a lot to someone until you realize how much more it is. Right, right. Anywhere between five and 10 is pretty typical for a webinar. But also, I love how you looked at the problem from the actual client point of view and was like, 40 minutes times at least four. Hmm. How's that going to work out exactly, right? Right. Well, and that's what we were talking about, about bringing that client voice or client you know, expectation in other types of entrepreneurs might have that time and might be willing to spend it, but not her ideal customer. Great. So in closing, maybe we could just talk a little bit about what's going on in the world right now. Have you found with any of your current projects or, or current clients that anyone's, you know, needed to immediately shift tactics and and maybe even abandon something that they were really into just a few short months ago? You know, it's been pretty fascinating. I have not had anybody abandon anything. The biggest pivots we've seen have been in how they're talking about it. So what I was telling a client recently was people want painkillers right now, not vitamins, meaning they need quick fix, not something that's going to help down the road. So we're pivoting the messaging a little bit to help them understand why they need this thing now. And the other thing I'm seeing is that they are offering sort of extended payment plans or different things like that so that people feel like if they're in a cash flow crunch, they can still invest. But at least from the people we're working with right now, people are still buying. We're still having successful launches. We're still having, you know, successful service providers are doing fine, you know, in certain niches. So now, granted, I don't work with a lot of restaurants. I don't work with a lot of like people who do in-person events. Actually, I do have one who who normally does in-person events as part of her courses. She has simply turned those virtual and made it a bonus that they can attend an event next year, assuming we have events next year. So, you know, we're doing, it's just a lot of like pivoting messaging to focus on what people's fears are or, or concerns are right now, because everybody who's listening to this, your customer's biggest pain points have shifted, no matter what you sell, their biggest pain points have shifted. And so if you can shift your message to help address that, it really doesn't matter what you sell their pain point is shifted and you can adjust your message to help them realize that you can still help them solve it. Well, thank you for that. If our listeners want to get in touch with you or see more of what you do, where can we direct them? 
Sure. So I thought I would, I mentioned that leadership marketing dashboard. I thought I'd give that to you guys for free. It includes an editorial calendar template and then that metrics tracking dashboard that I mentioned. And it also has a list of 201 blog post ideas in there. You can grab that all for free at laceyboggs.com slash no like trust, all one word. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we'll include that in the show notes as well. Lacey, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it and can't wait to see more of what you're doing. Thanks. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the No Like and Trust Show with Brittany Gardner. For notes on today's show, visit brittanygardner.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. To learn more about building your personal brand for your business, visit brittanygardner.com. Brittany Gardner.